0: Harry not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... Go! Go! the man! You gotta beat the man! The one line drive, let's One run again. Here comes
1: Reed. Here's the throw to the plate. He is. Nice. Lions win. Lions win. Lions win. Lions win. win.
0: This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Jason Powers down here in Tampa. We are game week in the college football season. There are college football games this week. Big Ten matchup: Nebraska Illinois kicks it off. You got Hawaii playing. So, college football twenty twenty one is here. Lots of interesting storylines throughout throughout all the big conferences. In the next two episodes of the podcast, we are going to preview the SEC, the Big Twelve, the ACC, and the Pac twelve as well. We're going to talk the big alliance that's developing between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. We're going to talk Oklahoma-Texas. We're going to talk coaching changes. We're going to make predictions in the conferences. We've got four great guests that are coming up for conference previews. We are going to lead off with the SEC and Vince Ferrara from 99.1 in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're then going to have Tyler Jones of the Jones Report podcast, who's going to give us all the lowdown on the Big 12 in the Next podcast we're going to have the ACC with Chris Bond of the accnation.net as well as Matt Zimmick, who covers all things USC for the big for the Pac12. So a great couple series of podcasts coming your way with all things college football. Check us out on spreaker.com. We are going to be we are part of the Tag Sports Network of podcasts. So you'll see a variety of different podcasts so check it out. First up is Vince Ferrara with the SEC. All right, welcome back. We are we are starting our college football previews here on the Powers on Sports podcast and where else to start but with the Southeastern Conference with don't they say it just means more there to play football and all that good stuff. So We are going to kick it off with the Southeastern Conference. We're also going to do previews ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, and maybe even a little Big 10. And for the SEC, we're going to welcome in Vince Ferrara. Vince is a sports radio host in Knoxville, Tennessee, for 99.1 The Sports Animal. He's dialed in to all things Tennessee football. He was at SEC Media Days. He's another Tampa guy, as well as me, from, from the Bay Area, so... Welcome to the podcast, Vince. This is your debut. How about that? Pleasure is all mine, Jason. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, it's, we're almost here. We're less than two weeks away from the college football season uh, starting, and and again, no better place to start than than right here in the SEC. And, and you're dialed dialed into all things SEC. First of all, tell me about Media Day a little bit. I know you went. Obviously, the first year back of having people there and all that stuff. How was that atmosphere in Birmingham and, uh, and and how did everything go? and how did everybody react to being back in town?
2: Yeah, Jason, you hit on the big part of it, right that stands out for us. is just the fact that it happened again. and it wasn't normal like we had seen before because all the circus elements that the SEC loves to have, it really weren't there. Like fans in the lobby with crazy ring hats, Alabama fans just uh, just lined up. They're stacked on top of each other to see, get a glimpse of Nick Saban and, you know, coaches and people walking through, signing autographs. There weren't fans that were allowed there for the event. There was also, I think there was about 700-ish media They've capped out in the past at 1,200 or 1,300. Yeah. So there was a lot, uh, a lot less traffic from a media standpoint. Honestly, a lot of us that that cover it every year really like that. I mean, it was easier to get around. You didn't have, you know, everybody that's not in the normal everyday media for these teams there that just wants to be a part of it. You know, right. and so I, I think I think we like that aspect of it. It was definitely different. I think there was actually, we were set up on Radio Row and I, I think there were more coaches that went to Radio Row this year than in the past, by a little bit. It wasn't just a you know wide open free. Having a
0: little technical difficulty with Vince and his Zoom. Vince was talking about media days and uh, I know that area very well in Birmingham where they host that media day at the hotel. They do a great job, you know, packing all the people in all the teams in all the coaches and all the staff and all that good stuff. So they do a tremendous, you know, it's big business for the, for for Birmingham, for media days with a hotel there, there in down there in Hoover, Alabama. I I actually used to uh, live five minutes down the road from that hotel and you know, anticipating everybody anticipated that event every year in Birmingham in the midsummer. So it was awesome to have all those people. And you, Vince, you were talking about the shortening of the number of, of media members and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, from your perspective, easier access to talk to people and get coaches and other guys in other markets.
2: It, it was, yeah. In terms of talking to other media, yes, I think it was better just to be able to breathe. I mean, it's a circus kind of as it is, and. You didn't quite have the, you know, the cattle of reporters and photographers following players and coaches from one room to the other. So sometimes you need to get through that wave to quickly get to another room for another press conference to start or to go tape an interview or something. So it, it was a little bit easier to kind of get your work done and talk to other media as well, set some stuff up. Um, But obviously the the biggest thing is to learn about the players and the coaches from the players and the coaches, there wasn't as much access. And and we were having to rely, unfortunately, on their internet to be able to download videos, things like that, because you, because they were, they were keeping a lot of the players away and not doing as much one-on-one you had to rely on the secs access to their stuff. And then, so their internet, you know, it, it means more. I wish, I wish the internet meant more um, <laughs> that was really a struggle for, for some of us and just kind of, you know how it is. There's so many people, there's so much competition in yep. putting that content out. Yep. If, if you're slow because your internet doesn't work, a lot of people may have already found some of that stuff. So, right. you know, that that's, that's, you know, one little aspect of it, but overall, just really thankful they were able to, to be there and they found a way to do it. And it, it wasn't this paranoia, uh, you know, at the time of being there. So, Um, You know, the SEC always does a great job with it. And we'll see if it's going to be any different in the years to come with Atlanta and Nashville and those new locations. Last time we were in Atlanta, Jason, it, it was kind of, it was difficult. Man, they were at the College Football Hall of Fame. They had stuff in one building. You had to walk outside to go to the main room for a lot of stuff, and it just it—it it wasn't the best setup. We'll see if it's better this time. But man, so I love gonna, that kind of stuff. Rotating, of are they
0: rotating? Are they going to be rotating away from Birmingham to Atlanta, Nashville, or is it? Are they permanently moving away?
2: No, I, they're just kind of mixing them in, kind of yeah. like they do with their with their basketball tournament. tournaments. So. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of sampling in, in those other locations.
0: Cool. All right. So let's talk about the four new coaches in the league. Obviously at media days, you got Brian Harson at Auburn, you got Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Hypel at Tennessee and then Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Which of those four guys kind of were you impressed with at media day, uh, given what they talked about and just their demeanor and how they kind of handled them, handled the media.
2: I think Shane Beamer was the most engaging and looked the most comfortable there. So he he is a guy that obviously people know his his dad and that name resonates yeah. with a lot of people. He just looked the most comfortable. Brian Harson he had a a veteran type of filibuster to start at his press conference in the main room. I mean, he he took three total questions in a 30-minute session, wow. Jason. And that's how long his opening statement was. That's how long his extended fill time answers were <laughs> so w- the third after the third question was asked they're like all right we're done everybody's like <laughs> wait i had questions too so uh, you know that th- didn't get a, a ton out of that yeah and i i've heard that media access and stuff has been a little tight at auburn as well you know clark lee there's not a ton of expectations for him and right I, you know I, I thought he sort of didn't really say a whole lot either i thought shane beamer was the most engaging of them. Does that guarantee that South Carolina is going to be good? Uh, no, it does not. But in terms of, of being able to learn about the team, I think he said his wife was actually the, the first Beamer at SEC media days because she had worked in the media relations or the athletic department of Mississippi state. So okay. she had actually been through that before and he's not afraid of the, the spotlight with his dad. So I, I'd say Beamer was the guy that enjoyed listening to uh, at media days.
0: Yeah, and obviously Brian Harson, the, the former coach at Boise State, coming to right. Auburn. So you know he's he's a very much different media perspective from coming from Boise, Idaho to the to the hub of uh, media media central of college football there there at the SEC. So all right, let's get to let's get to some teams. Let's talk some uh, some. Yeah, obviously, we had Alabama defeated Florida last year in the title game. Alabama went on to win the national title. They're back. Let's 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 just start with Alabama. What are your thoughts, Bryce Young? replacing mac jones you know the defense is supposed to be better at alabama i know that was one if if there was an achilles heel a little bit was maybe their defense a little bit what are your just what were your thoughts your thoughts of the alabama heading into 2021 with bryce young at the helm
2: well i still think they're the team to beat in this conference and probably in the country even though some other people are looking for somebody different to pick but let's be real people are look are trying to pick somebody else because they don't want to pick a champion back to back right right when that happens it's not easy to do so any of the other picks are not because they don't have the best talent because Alabama does look they lose a lot on offense lost eight starters and obviously at quarterback as well but Man, I, I have the utmost confidence in Bryce Young. I think he's he's going to be a star this year in college football. Still have plenty of weapons. John Michie, the III yeah. and go plenty of other four or five stars that maybe that aren't ha- household names that are still going to be right there in line with the other guys that have already left. Um, and, and so with, with Alabama, you mentioned the defense a little bit. They have eight starters that are back from last year. And it doesn't even count Henry Toto, who was Tennessee's leading tackler <laughs> and last year? And he is an absolute stud. And yeah. every he's he's one of the talks of camp at Alabama and how well he's fitting in. He is one of six Alabama defenders that are on the first team in all SEC. I mean, it's it, it's ridiculous. So they're gonna be loaded and um and just tons of talent, not just not not concerned. They gave up you know, some big points in a few games last year, but honestly that's college football today and part of the genius in Nick Saban is he's adjusted to today's college football from back in the day when he was talking about you know the pace of play and going back and forth with with Malzahn and all that he adjusts and he he, he's got a ton of talent so I think Alabama is the team to beat
0: how do you think how do you think the Bill Bill O'Brien adjustment on offense is going to be going from Sark to Bill O'Brien
2: you know, honestly, in the NFL, I wasn't a big Bill O'Brien fan in terms of a head coach, but right. man, he knows football. And I, I, just like all the other former head coaches and guys that are in that rehab program <laughs> that, that Saban has going on there at Alabama, they all fall in line and they all succeed there. You want, if you're a successful head coach, you get the deal you yes you've been a head coach you're in a program you have your own thoughts and ideas and all that but you are there to run what nick saban wants you to and fit into the culture you adjust to them and it's happened and succeeded for a lot of guys over and over again kiffin sarkeesian it's gonna Loxley, it's gonna continue Butch right. jones even has a job right. now at arkansas state right. and he wasn't even an on-field assistant so uh, that if you're a smart coach you understand it so i think him, Doug Marone, I think those guys are going to fit in great. And it just shows you what, a, what a, a setup they've got there when NFL head coaches, former NFL head coaches, are more than willing to check their ego and walk into that situation knowing it's going to work out for them on the other end and maybe win a national championship or, or more at
0: Alabama. I think the most underrated thing about the Alabama team, especially offensively, is just how consistent over the last decade their offensive line plays, been. They haven't yeah. always had the best offensive linemen and their offensive linemen haven't always projected well in the NFL, right? But every year they are just above average, if not elite offensive line play, which makes the offense so much easier to run. And obviously it, it helps the defensive guys as well. So that, that, to me, that's always been the under undervalued part of that, that team.
2: And they've got another stud in Evan Neal, who I think made Bruce Feldman's freak list and everybody raves about him so seemingly they've got at least one stud uh every year but they found a, they always find a way to get better as the year goes on right. and jason you'll appreciate this now they even have fixed their kicking problems right. which used to be their
0: right their, their one thing they couldn't figure out before i knew it's funny when i was living in birmingham i actually trained that kid the kid uh when he was like seventh and eighth grade he's a birmingham kid the kicker they have yeah i'm, I'm losing his i can't remember his name. Um, but um losing track of his name right now. But, yeah, I actually know who that kid is and, and actually pre- worked him out before. Nice. Yep. But, yeah, interesting. All right, let's go to Florida. Yep. Kyle Trask on. You know, they, they had a great run last year. You know, they they they, they made it to the SEC title game. They, they lost the late, the game late in the year. They lost to Alabama, obviously. Is, is Emery Jones the guy at Florida to replace uh, Trask, or, or are they going to use kind of a QB by committee?
2: Yeah, I'm not as sold on Emory Jones. I know he's been in the program and been kind of mixed in, yeah. uh, you know, his first couple of years. I, I just I just don't know that he is the guy automatically. Some people think so. Other people are, are skeptical. So it's, a, it's more of a mixed bag with him. The, the thing is, to Florida deserves some benefit of the doubt because of Dan Mullen. Right. And Dan Mullen always seems to figure things out not only as a team when people don't expect as much out of them. And I do think that a lot of expecting a ton from this Florida team, I think it's pretty much uh, most people think it's going to be George and I do as well with Florida sliding back a little bit, but man, those are the times where Dan Mullen outperforms expectations and he seems to figure it out at quarterback when he doesn't have the best talent and, and seems to find a way. So Even though I'm not bullish on Emory Jones, you kind of still have to give Dan Mullen that that benefit of the doubt that he might figure it out, whether it's him or whether they go another direction. But, um, you know, they'll be able to run the football and still have some questions on the offensive line and lost a a fair amount on defense. But they still have some players to work with. And and they, yeah, they, they don't have... Georgia, Alabama level players in the SEC. There's a drop off from there, but they've still got really good talent.
0: And, and a huge showdown in mid September. Alabama comes to Gainesville, or in mid September. So uh, you know that's going to be a that's going to be again Dan Mullen, like you said, back of his SEC S- Mississippi State days. He's always been a kind of a giant killer once in a while. You know, every yeah. these kind of years when everybody kind of is pushing them down a little bit. So be careful, Alabama, as you go to Gainesville in that early, that early showdown, which uh, will be happening in early September. So, all right, let's go to LSU. A lot of turmoil over the offseason with Orgeron and just stuff going on there. Just your thoughts, your just some general thoughts about LSU.
2: I think LSU is going to be much better this year. Uh, their, their coordinator hires are guys that Joe Brady, the 2019 offensive coordinator that is now at Carolina, that he recommended to him, Ed Orgeron, told us at media days, he did an interview on our, on our station as well. One-on-one, which is cool. Um, and he, he knows our, after, one of our afternoon co-hosts Jimmy Himes really well. So he, one of the things he said at media days was, Hey, I went to Joe Brady and said, without hiring you, who can I hire that can do what you do? And he recommended their co-coordinators and that's what he did. He went and hired him, brought him in. And, um, and so that's, that's a smart play to try to duplicate what they did before. Now, you don't have Joe Burrow. Right. That's the problem. <laughs> but you know, you it, it was a two quarterback competition. But then Miles Brennan got hurt, so it looks like it's Max Johnson, uh, of course, Brad, right? Johnson, the Brad Johnson, the former, yeah, yep, former Bucks quarterback. So it it um, it looks like I think they're going to be able to do a lot more than they did last year. Where you know Johnson was in his first year, had TJ Finley in his first year. So I, I think they'll be much better. They have lots of talent. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback, is as good a defensive player as there is in the country. And, and then obviously they fixed the defense by parting ways with Bo Pellini. I mean, what a disaster that was. There's a ton of talent in that defense. No way they should have had that kind of mess defensively. I think they'll be much improved in a lot of ways. And I think you'll have a bounce back year. Not catching Alabama, i, I kind of slot him in a little bit behind Texas A&M yep. for third place in the West, but maybe even fourth best in the
0: SEC overall. Gotcha. There you go. You mentioned that Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, which is year four, or year five. Is this year four or five? I think this is year uh, – I think this is five, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's five, yeah. Yeah, so year five in, in, in College Station had a really good year last year. Kellen Mond gone now. Is it is a And M sustainable, or is this kind of something where he's going to have to rebuild again, kind of the offense again, and the quarterback position again?
2: No, I I think this will be his best team. Nation, uh, they they are loaded. Now, the one question mark for them, the thing they still need to figure out is quarterback, and maybe they have figured it out, but haven't named a quarterback. I actually think it's going to be Haynes King, who's a kid from the state of Texas that. Pick Texas A&M over Tennessee, and I thought that was a big loss for Tennessee. He can really run, but he's still a pocket quarterback. I I think he's going to be terrific, and they are loaded, really good offensive line. Uh, Isaiah Spiller, I think, is the best running back in the SEC. Uh, They were underrated good defensively last year, especially against the run, and they still have a fair amount of talent back. I I think this is going to be a very good – Texas A&M team, especially if Haynes King is what uh, I expect and I think a, a number of people do as well. Not quite up to Alabama, but I, I think they can be 10 win team overall this year.
0: And I think Alabama goes to Texas A&M this year. Is that correct? I'm pretty sure they go to Yes. Yes. Yep. So, uh, October 9th. Yeah. So Alabama's got two t- really tough road games. Uh, you know, obviously with Florida and, and going to AM and uh, within the first you know six weeks of the year. All right, let's go to um, Georgia. Lots of expectations in Athens. You know, Kirby Smart, J T. Daniels kind of emerged last year as the quarterback. You know, they seem like they're the they're the threat to Alabama to, to win the to win the conference. They got a huge showdown with Clemson early. Um, just your thoughts on Georgia and 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 can J- is J T Daniels good enough to to win it all here at in Athens? By the way,
2: this is the fourth year on Jimbo Fisher. Just double yeah. checked on that. Three years, twenty six and ten in Thank three you. years. But no, I think I think Georgia is is the team to beat in the East, and yes, they are the biggest threat to Alabama. You mentioned J T Daniels. That's what gives them the validity. It's they figured out that quarterback position, which in the last couple of years they or or in last year, they weren't able to figure out. It's kind of a mess until Daniels figured it out. But since Jake Fromm, But, um, yeah, he he, he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. That's how good he is now. I wouldn't put him in the favorite category because Georgia probably isn't going to throw the rock around like some other teams will. But, man, he can make all the throws, a former five star, and now they can do some things in the passing game with a really, uh, their their best group of wide receivers that they've had. Now they've added Eric Gilbert, the former LSU tight end, right. one of the elite players in the country, and he was really good as a freshman and eligible immediately. Also added Washington, another five-star tight end to the mix. So they've got some weapons there. They can always run the rock. Uh, They have a deep stable of running backs. They should be solid enough on the offensive line. And then as good a defense as there is in the country. They had some losses on that side of the ball, but, man, they are still – stacked and they can really run so that's they're they're the closest team to alabama in terms of talent in this league and the results pay that out and if you, you go through the two deep and i often do this before tennessee matches up with someone and then just start writing down what the star rating is of everybody on the two deep and it's, it's ridiculous is <laughs> how so many, I mean, there's five stars that aren't even on their two deep. They've got so many of them stacked there. Now, Alabama sets the bar in that category, but Georgia is right there as well. Um, what Kirby smart has done with recruiting has been insane and that's why they're always in the mix, but that's why there's also people that kind of are, have criticized Kirby smart because they're wondering why haven't you cashed in yeah. <laughs> on all, all this talent and obviously they've been super close. Just some boneheaded decisions have helped lead to that. And some heroics from Alabama as well. Yes. But um, I, I, they're not going anywhere. They're always going to be a factor as long as they continue to recruit the level they have. And they've got a quarterback, which like when they had Jake Fromm, gives them a fighting chance if they get into that situation again with Alabama in the SEC title game or even in the, in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and Todd Munkin's a – Todd, he's a former – I know him. He's down here in Tampa, O.C. in Tampa for Dirk Gutter. He is yep. an underrated O.C. He's a very good play caller, yep. good play designer. And Like I said, he's very good in the run game, that kind of stuff. So, I think he he being there calling the plays is going to help as well. Yeah, All right, totally Let's talk. Yep. yep, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say – he he's got the he's got the background to maybe throw it around a little bit more, right. but no, because of their talent and because he's still with his tempo and, and spread offense in the past still runs the football. I think that's why you'll see them still be very balanced on offense.
0: And the Clemson game is so important to me for Georgia, because if you can beat Clemson, you can then get to the to the SEC title game and afford a loss to Alabama. Whereas if you lose to Clemson, then you lose again to Alabama at the end you might not get in with two losses depending on what other people do around the country
2: yeah no it's a great point and look and and all all of the validity that you're going to get for your program if you beat a clemson you beat a top five team i mean that's going to go a long way yes. in the minds of the people in that committee that, that already think highly of sec teams yep. and rightfully so but that that will 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 be very very valuable if they can do it, and you know maybe with all the losses that Clemson has, including a quarterback. Even though I think DJ Unga uh, Lale is going to be yes, fantastic, really yeah. Um, I th- maybe maybe game one is the time to uh, to get them. So I, I that's a that's a key game for sure in the big picture of things for uh, for for
0: Georgia. Yeah, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. We're on with Vince Ferrara giving you a full breakdown of the SEC. Uh, we got other conference previews coming behind this, so definitely stay tuned to the podcast. Uh, again, appreciate you finding us. Um, and so, well, again, Vince is from uh, the, as radio host, ninety-nine point one Sports Animal in Knoxville. Let's get to your 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 hometown team, as Vince is, I got the not the Sports <laughs> Animal uh, logo in the background. Let's get to your your neck of the woods and your your territory, the the Tennessee Volunteers. I've always just, I, I'm just amazed that it's been 20 plus years since they've been really good. I mean, in the mid 90s when we were growing up, they in Florida were the elite. I mean, they were it, man. Phil, Phil Fulmer had it going. I don't care what year it was, they were in the mix every year, and they've just not been able to 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 sustain that or even kind of have any consistency. Just your general thoughts about the Tennessee program, and obviously we'll get to the Josh Heupel hire here in a second.
2: Yeah. And so much turnover, Jason. I mean, there's a lot of things that have contributed to the struggles since then. And, and I know Tennessee fans don't want to rehash all those things, but it, it's, it's been very difficult and it, you know, just adds to sort of that, that difficulty to buy in for some fans right now in, in Josh Heupel, not everyone. There's plenty that believe in him and like the hire, under the circumstances with the potential NCAA probation or some sort of, of punishment coming with their investigation, that's still not over yet. So that's dragging on and, and hurting recruiting. But anyway, I, I still think that, that some fans have just been just been uh, just punished over and over again with all these losses <laughs> and all the drama. I mean, you know them all. So I, I think it, it, some fans have a hard time sort of, Buying in yet yeah. and taking more of a wait and see approach, and, and still like some people impacted by COVID, I, I think that that is also impacted season ticket sales as well as the NCAA stuff. Season yeah. ticket sales, last I heard, were approaching fifty five thousand, but that's wow. that's a low number for them, right? You know, especially when they can put 102455 in the yeah. Stadium. I don't know that they're getting there. I don't think they're getting to sell out this year, honestly. Uh, but I, I, I think that Josh Heupel has done a really nice job so far. I like he and his staff. They've given us a ton of availability, Jason. I, I lost count. Like er, last week, it was 46 interviews that we had. And th- you know, I've joked that that's like the entire Jeremy Pruitt era in three years, a number of interviews between players and coaches. We've talked to the entire coaching staff, all the assistants, and we get high pull Monday. And then we're talking to the coordinators for a second time Tuesday and Wednesday. So, I mean, a lot of sec teams are just so locked down and it's the one voice. So all, all these, a lot of these former Saban guys want to do things like Saban without the rings. So you gotta, you gotta win first. If you win then you can do everything the way you want. But what that's done, that availability that we've gotten, you know how this works, Jason, is now it's allowed a lot of the fans to be able to hear from Hypel all his assistants, recruits. the players, recruits. recruits, and you and then also get the excited again yes. in the product and the direct. It's smart and a lot of coaches, I don't understand why, can't figure that out. And it buys you a little bit of time at the I beginning, agree. which this coaching staff really needs, you want to get fired up. And because they've been able to hear from them more frequently, I think you're starting to see some fans get more excited about this year and then, and just be emotionally invested in the players and the coaches and like what they've heard they don't sound as paranoid as a lot of the not only the head coach but when we've talked to other coordinators in the past that were great personalities they wouldn't show it because they were afraid to say anything right now you don't have that and even though it's not like hypo is this open book he's still giving us access sure. we have five minutes to share a video from every practice where it's always been three and then three of nothing, you know, in terms of what you get to see. So uh, it, it's been it's been refreshing from that standpoint, and I think fans have enjoyed it, and um, uh, that part of it has been really good. I also like what they've done because this coaching staff, including Josh Heupel, they are the 180 from Jeremy Pruitt. So it was a mess last year, and a number of the players kind of been surprised that they have. Number of the pra- players have talked about. How uh, much fun they're having now, and how different it is from last year—that right. it was work for them to come in and and do it—and they were just doing it to get through it. Yep. And just really surprised that some uh, some have really tossed that out there. And it just shows that it was it, it was an underachieving mess of a culture year last year right. for whatever reason. And Jeremy Pruitt, after year one of his tenure, admitted that he didn't spend enough time on relationships with his players. He told our afternoon host Jimmy Himes that, and he had to wonder, okay, wait, I know you're a first year head coach, but you can't figure out that you need to show players that you love them so they'll fight for you in tough times. And he said, that's why he thought they kind of quit on him at the end of year one. So he spent more time doing it in year two. They had a little bit of a spike year, but yeah. some guys aren't going to buy in Jason it's too, too late. You know, that being in those locker rooms now you you, you wonder, are this guy sincere? And right. then I wonder if maybe that kind of wore off in year three and he kind of went back to year one in worrying about little things that didn't matter and only football. So that's how you lose a locker room. Right. And I, I think this coaching staff has mixed in fun things. They, they compliment this coaching staff and, and it, it's not going to guarantee wins, but at least it gives you some sort of base and chance. To You're going to get the best
0: effort out of the kids you have. You're going to get the best effort.
2: And until they can improve recruiting and improve the roster, you need to be able to get the most out of the guys you have. So that's, that's the biggest thing, the culture, the fun, the difference from Pruitt that in the, uh, the access that I think has been a real positive And And look, in today's day and age, Jason, uh, sorry, in today's day and age with name, image, and likeness, let the players talk. They've been able to talk about their their name, image, and likeness. They've been able to get their personality out there. That that also will help you in recruiting as well.
0: And the other thing is when Tennessee was great back in the 90s, they never had the best players. They always had a very festive atmosphere, even with Fulmer. Mm -hmm. They always had a very fun, it seemed like a pretty fun culture to play in. They never had the best players. Yeah, they had Peyton Manning, but – they never had the best players roster wise in the sec. Typically it was always somebody else that had that had a better, a quote unquote recruiting, recruiting class and all that stuff. But they just, they were always a very together team. They did have, they had some dudes now
2: Maybe Florida from a recruiting standpoint, right. maybe had some more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you need, you need the dudes and the coaching and the culture. You need all three of them. If you're going to yeah. do, what fans want. And that's the championships to compete with the Alabama's right. and the Georgia's. That's what you need. Unfortunately, Tennessee has not had all three of those and you can't just win with two and three star guys. And Butch Jones bringing up the whole five-star heart and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, you need dudes, you need great coaching, you need the culture. And at least they're working on the things they can control right now in the culture. We'll see on the coaching this year. And then right. the recruiting will, will hopefully pay off for them down the road and then you can improve that roster but I, I like the start they've had so far
0: speaking of NIL name image and lightness in a place like Knoxville where football the University of Tennessee's it how is that kind of gone in, in Knoxville are there you know is the barbecue joint sponsoring the offensive line how's that <laughs> how's some of that kind of stuff working in Knoxville where you're at
2: you know, there, there've been, there've been some of those things. There've been a, a few that I think the most interesting one is a walk on wide receiver named Grant Freer King. He actually owns a multimillion dollar business. It's wow, sort man. of a, a landscaping type of business. And he's gotten national attention for his business because now he's able to get players on the team sort of be social media, uh advertisers for him and he's developed that brand and now he's able to be public with with his business and and have people get the attention and and do that uh, help him with that so Pay a little bit, yeah. yeah and and so he's a lot more popular than he was before and <laughs> now guys can get a little money from him you know yeah. uh, so that's the most interesting one thing that stood out that has stood out we've asked not every player we've gotten a ton of a player interviews but I'd say more than not have said no nah, not really messing with it right now kind of focused on this season and trying to get better and trying to you know and focus on football and we heard that a fair amount at SEC football media days from players around the league J.T Daniels said that you know, Lante Taylor from Tennessee said that right. at media days and, and, and locally as well. I think that's an interesting thing that maybe people didn't expect, that it's not for everybody. And I'm sure the, uh, virtually everybody is getting some sort of opportunity, uh, but some of them are, are cashing in on the little stuff. But I think there's a fair amount of them they are like, man, i I got I to worry about football first. I mean, you, student athletes, they have so much on their plate as it is it that's a, that's a concern you can get sidetracked if you're do, trying to do too much and then also just trying to slow play to make sure you don't just jump on the first opportunity which which is smart so uh nothing overwhelming yeah. but I, I you know a, again continue to to notice that not everybody is diving in and just focusing on football which tennessee needs plenty and you,
0: and you heard and you heard the rumors out of tuscaloosa that bryce young had close to a seven figure deals in place for him so Right. I'm all, I'm going to be very interested to see how that plays in the locker room when you got the guy like Bryce Young who's got all the deals, and then you got the other guys, the offensive lineman or the or the backup safety who maybe doesn't have anything. How that mixture and the chemistry is going to affect things, especially when Bryce Young doesn't play well. When the, when there's a game where he doesn't play well and he throws three interceptions and maybe they lose a game they shouldn't lose. Well, it's what you do with that deal,
2: right? If if you're if you're not Producing, and y- people know your teammates know that you're spending a lot of time on that name, image, and likeness stuff. Uh, whether you're doing an autograph session, or you're posting on social media, or you're doing yeah. events, or you know, you're showing up with cars and things like that. So whatever it is, it, they'll know what you're putting in. And if you don't produce, then that's when they can hurt you in the locker room. People on the outside are always going to point to it because now it'll be an, an easy target with fans, which is ugly. Yep. Yeah. And it'll be ugly because sometimes it'll have absolutely nothing to do with what happens on the field. And you know how some people on social media are, they're just going to use anything that's easy because they're lazy. And and so that'll that'll be unfortunate. But, I, you know, I, I think I think the time investment is the biggest thing more so than jealousy, especially at Alabama, when, you know, the opportunities are there for plenty. I mean, if a, if the uh, if the starting left guard is it, maybe he doesn't have a name, image and likeness deal, but maybe it's because he chose not to do anything right now. True. And and so everybody will, will react to it differently, but it is a different dynamic and it's on the coaches and the culture on how that stuff spits out in the end.
0: Great point. Great. point. All right. A couple more things and I'll get you out of here. Mm -hmm. What's the best, what's the best venue? What what are the one or two good great venues to go to that we wouldn't think about in the SEC as far as a place to go watch a game?
2: Oh, wow. There, there are a ton. Um, Haven't obviously with COVID haven't, you know, traveled didn't travel last year right. uh around the league you know I, I lived in and worked in tuscaloosa for a while so dreamland barbecue is always great now that's not necessarily a um you know a venue to go watch sports but right. in terms of the ribs and food yeah, yeah. It, it's fantastic um what about I, a stadium I, a good
0: stadium or two that's kind of under the radar as far as a great place to watch a game
2: Well, Athens is uh, Sanford Stadium is really good. Um, It's just it's so loud now. Tennessee fans always point out how annoying it is that Georgia fans will bark in their face. (laughs) But in terms of a of a cool atmosphere, I've actually seen that place quiet too when it's been packed. Like I've been there for I think it was the uh, the first time Georgia did a blackout against Alabama.
0: They got smoked.
2: they, They did. They got smoked. He did. So that wasn't a great atmosphere. One, you know, Florida obviously is, is one of the louder venues. One of my favorites I'd say though, is Jordan hair at Auburn. I've been there for some iron bowl games and you know, that electric
0: it's electric
2: and and being on the field too, goodness. And the fans are not that far from the sidelines. It it is, it's ridiculous. So those are a few, I haven't done Texas A&M yet. Um, you've been, I've been to done the Grove? you've been to the Grove. I, I have, have done Ole Miss in the Grove. Now in, in terms of sightseeing, that's where you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Lane Kiffin has brought the excitement back. So now they're in a good mood rather okay. than, than being in the bottom part of the, the scenery
0: is even better. The scenery's even better on the Grove.
2: <laughs> no question. W- with smiles. It's a good thing. <laughs> And then to me, right up there in the in the top is LSU. I mean, Tiger Stadium at night, just ridiculous. Insane. Yeah. I've been there for some of those Alabama uh, LSU tilts also. Uh, it, that's why this league is so special, because when you do name the best venues, it, you can't just come up with one. There's four right. or five of them, and that's the bar around the country if they're in every conversation for national best venues so those would be uh, a few of them and obviously Nealon stadium is right up there too when things are cooking and even even during these lean years that you talked about jason there have been some of the loudest moments of me being in a stadium i've ever experienced you know the florida game with butch jones juan jennings Uh, big performance and the catch. And uh, there have been some moments where it's been, it's been bottled up individual here and there. They did have a couple of nine win seasons under Butch Jones and they totally screwed up the opportunity to do even bigger, better things in those years. But man, there was excitement back. They got in the top 10 numerous times. So uh, there have been, despite the lean years overall, there've been some insanely loud moments at Nealand stadium as well when when it's rocking that is right up there with with any
0: other venue give me one team who who's not going to win the conference or win their division but it's going to be a pain in the neck for people all year long is it a team like missouri maybe in arkansas maybe an auburn give me a team that you like that's just going to be a pain in the neck even though their record may not reflect that they're really a pretty good team
2: well i pretty good team. I Ole Miss, I think is, is going to be a problem. And I think they will be improved. They should be a little bit better on defense and they have plenty of talent still on offense, even though they lost uh, Elijah Moore to the NFL, but Matt Corral is right up there with JT Daniels as the best quarterback in the league. And they're just going to put up ridiculous numbers. And if they can just get that defense anybody, a, little, yeah. a little, just a few stops in today's football, right? That's what, what you need. Uh, so I think they're they're going to be tough to handle. LSU will be much improved, uh, but in terms of teams that maybe aren't 500, I think Arkansas will because uh, they're pretty good at the line of scrimmage. Yes, and and Sam Pittman he's doing a good fixed job that culture. Yep, he fixed that culture quick, and their record really didn't indicate how how tough and out they were from zero expectations going right. in. Right. And um, and so yeah, Missouri because of their quarterback and Connor basilak. If Kentucky's got this this quarterback that has won the job there, I mean they're talking about not you know him having an arm. And I've seen some video of him. And he he looks like he has a, a strong an arm as we've seen at Kentucky for a quarterback in a long time. If they fix that position then that's the team because they are good at the line of scrimmage, especially on the O-line. They can Stoops always run the ball. Is, yeah. And you're right. And and Stoops is – he gets the most out of his players. So that's, that's another sort of wild card team that if they fix that position. But, I mean, you can kind of say that about Arkansas. Jefferson's the guy. Um, a number of teams. If Tennessee fi- it figures out the quarterback position, I think it's going to be Joe Milton, the Michigan transfer. You yeah. talk about an arm. This kid's arm is special. Players have talked about him throwing at 70, 80 yards. Uh, he has running ability. He's got a Cam Newton type of size. Yep. Didn't live up to expectations at Michigan with his high recruiting ranking, but how much of that was that mess up there right. at Michigan, their offense and drop pass and stuff like that. So if Tennessee gets a special quarterback, Tennessee is going to be in in that mix too of teams you don't want to mess with late in, in the year, even though I still have him at – at at six and six right now.
0: So it sounds like we, we we both like Alabama, Georgia and the sec title game. Who do you, who do you think? Who do you think escapes? Do you think they both make the playoff or do you think the winner of that game makes the playoff? I right now I have Georgia
2: on the outside. I still leading towards Clemson in that game one, even though, you know, that's the time to get them. So because of that, I would give Georgia that second loss in the sec title game. Yeah. And right now I would think with some other teams having easier routes and other conferences, probably will leave Georgia on the outside end, but I'd have them in that five spot right now. Um, so I, I would go with Alabama over Georgia in the SEC title game, but uh, you know, it, it's going to be a lot of chalk. I'd, I'd like to pick yeah. somebody from the outside. If I had to, if I had to go someone like really way off the radar, I would go with North Carolina with Sam Howell, who okay. I think is a Heisman Trophy candidate, yep. NFL prospect, and they've got one of the many Tennessee outgoing transfers. They're <laughs> littered all over the country, Jason. Nobody has been hammered by the transfer portal like Tennessee. I think it, it, last count was – twenty. no, now with Brian Mauer, the quarterback, he makes it 27 scholarship players that weren't kicked off the team – that have uh, have hit the transfer portal. A lot of those finding spots, three of them at Oklahoma, uh, Jameer Johnson, offensive lineman at Texas A&M, and then, uh, and then Ty Chandler, a really good running back at North Carolina. I think he's a perfect fit. He's RB1 there already, can catch the ball. I, I, he's going to be, I think, as good as gets Toto at Alabama as well it's that part of it is going to be kind of painful. There's going to be a lot of those guys that are going to have big years, Eric Gray at Oklahoma. There's going to be a lot of those guys that are going to have big years, but because of Chandler and Howell and the, the job that Mac Brown has done in yes. North Carolina, uh, they would be kind of my, my sleeper. sort of off the radar sleeper type of team for the playoff.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, great work, Vince. Keep up the great work. Tell everybody where they can find John social media and uh, in the radio station. Yeah, appreciate
2: it. At Vince Sports on Twitter, V-I-N-C-E Sports. And then um, I have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe to me there. You can just find Vince Sports, search for that. And then our website, tons of content, all those interviews that we were talking about that Tennessee has been great to, to give us so far in preseason camp. And I have a blog there as well. You can go to 991 dsportsanimalcom I call high school football on Friday nights. We started that this past Friday. Had a 60 to 48 game <laughs> with two state title contenders. It was wild. Don Mahoney, former Tennessee offensive line coach under Butch Jones. He is my color analyst. We just have a blast with those games. And under the show tab, you can find all the archives of those games. We put up four games a week of of high school football on our stations. It's just crazy the content that's there. We do more on the SEC. So 991 these You see it right there if you're watching on Zoom.
0: Yep. Vince is a Tampa guy, Jefferson High that's School. Right. We had a little rival we was was Leto guy. We started <laughs> I, I had a game for I referee high school football down here, and I yes. had 42 to nothing. My game was 42 <laughs> to nothing. Tampa Bay <laughs> Tech beat Plant 42 to nothing. Beat Plant, man. Plant's terrible. Terrible. Wow. That yeah. is different. Different yes. Than past years. Crazy. Yes. They're 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 former coaches of the OC up at Toledo now. Wiener, Robert is up at Toledo, okay. coaching yep. for the in Toledo. So no more no more big recruits going to Plant <laughs> now that wiener has <laughs>
2: gone. <laughs> it's about coaching, man, you know how it works. And and then the number two overall player in the country. Uh, Walter Nolan, he everybody wants this this kid. Obviously, he's a defensive tackle. He moved from Memphis to Knoxville. Tennessee is in his final five. So now everybody is locked in on Powell High School. We actually had their game on Friday. And this kid was ridiculous. I mean, Alabama, Florida, all those powers are in there along with Tennessee. So it's crazy how the recruiting and the college level is connected to yep. the high school level Ooh. and the 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 quality of high school football is really improving here in East Tennessee and the state of Tennessee. It's not Florida with the depth of talent, but man, you guys had a ton, ton of talent there as well. So cool that you're involved with it.
0: Awesome, man. Well, keep up the great work, Vince. Thanks for the insight and good luck during the football season, my man. Man, always fun. Tell my man TJ Reeves and said hello. I sure will. Yep. You're listening to the powers on sports podcast. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning into the powers on sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash-out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan. In virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. We are hitting the Big 12 Conference as part of our conference previews we are hitting all the power five conferences and we got nobody better to cover the big 12 than tyler jones tyler is tyler jones is of the tyler jones report podcast the jones report podcast tyler's an anchor for local news live tv out of omaha nebraska uh seen on over 100 stations around the country tyler's a huge big 12 follower does all things with the. To- Went to KU in Lawrence, worked in the K- in the Lawrence market for many years in sports radio. So, we're well, we're pleasure. The pleasure is to have Tyler back on the podcast yet again. Welcome, Tyler. Jason, appreciate the time
1: as always, my man. And uh, catching up, uh, you know, it's been a minute, but uh, glad to see that you're doing well and that uh, we always talk uh, some football around here. It's that time of year again, best time of year. I was telling somebody just last night, I always feel a void in my life when it's not football season. So now uh, we're coming full circle and about to really rev it up here and have a fun uh, next couple of months ahead.
0: Yeah, we are less than two weeks away from when we're recording this to Labor Day weekend. Obviously, I know there's some games that Thursday night before Labor Day, but it kind of everybody gets kicked off Labor Day weekend. All right, let's get right to it. Big 12, lots of news around the Big 12 this offseason. The, huge, the biggest news, obviously, Oklahoma, Texas bolting to the SEC here coming up in a couple of years. Just your thoughts. What are the general thoughts of people that live in your part of the country about OU and Texas saying sayonara? Well, for Oklahoma and Texas, it's great for them. They're making a move
1: that makes sense in every way. I mean, it just means more, as they say. You know, I mean, the money was too good to pass up. I can't blame them at all for making this move and to go this route. Uh, The the Big 12 has just been run by a bunch of village idiots, and and they had enough of it. You know, it was time to move on. So for Oklahoma and Texas, that's great. Makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world for them to make this move to – The SEC to uh, put themselves in this situation where, you know, we're still not out of this pandemic yet. Teams are still looking for every dollar they can. And these athletic departments are on shoestring budgets right now. And so I think this kind of sped up the process where both schools are like, look, you know, we need to, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we're not making the most money we can. And so that's where this move to the SEC. I think, got sped up a bit is, is due COVID, uh, partially speaking. But as far as the rest of the Big 12 goes, this is awful. This is bad news for <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas to be making this move to the SEC because now everybody is left to kind of fend for themselves. I mean, the Big 12, if it stays intact, will lose about 50% of its revenue, um, and everyone else is going to be fighting for every dollar they can. So the – best case for these schools is to go on their own and try to find another home within uh one of the other power four conferences um so they can continue to get that money and and be in good financial shape otherwise they're going to be in some you know big trouble uh dealing with half the money they're making right now if they're to stay in the big 12 so a team like kansas you're hoping that even though your football program's just been awful the last decade plus, that your basketball program right. is good enough to get you in a, a conference like the Big Ten or the yep. ACC. Oklahoma State, they're sitting there with numbers that actually look pretty good for TV. They were 19th last year of all schools and TV ratings. And so you're trying to pump that up and look at uh you know what you've done as an athletic department as a whole and uh, hoping that's good enough to get you somewhere. In the case of Iowa State, you got a uh, really solid football program that Matt Campbell's built. And uh, you know you you look at that being a way to try to push you up there. They are an AAU institution, as is Kansas. So maybe that helps their case for the Big Ten. So everybody's kind of just trying to figure things out at this point. No one knows what's going to happen. If anyone acts like they know what's happening, uh, they're kind of full of themselves here. But – I think these schools, Jason, were more confident about their expansion, about where they could go, before this alliance talk came up between right. the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC. But with yep. that, everybody's kind of just
0: left wondering, okay, what now? Do you see Do you see a scenario where the eight, where the Big Twelve stays together, and then they try to go out and recruit a Central Florida, Houston, and SMU? To fill in the, some of the gaps, I know it's not going to be Oklahoma-Texas level of a program, but do you think the Big 12—that's their goal—is to stay together? Do you think it's going to ultimately disintegrate? I think it just depends on who you are. I think
1: if you're a team like Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas, uh, you're looking at your prospects and you know you're doing everything you can to get out. If you're a school like TCU realistically nobody probably wants you their chancellor's already come out and said that they want to make the big 12 great again and (laughs) that you know they're looking to add schools and they want to expand the conference so uh everybody's got a different agenda it just depends really where you're at as far as this league goes uh you know i think oklahoma and texas want this league to dissolve because the faster they can get to the sec with less fees to pay i think espn wants this league to dissolve and yep. get out of this contract. So uh, we'll just see what happens. Um, you know, it's certainly unstable. That's been the case for the last uh, 10 years. You know, when we saw Colorado, Nebraska, Texas, A&M and Missouri leave, what didn't change now that should have changed from what happened then was the league has been so reactionary right. they are not a forward thinking league. And that's been,
0: the issue that's the, what the problem was back then and still the problem to this day yeah that's i was just going to make that point is the sec people have their opinions about the sec but when they when they have a target of something they go after it they are proactive and the, you know if they ruffle some feathers they don't really care they try to do what they think's best for the sec and that's why they have become the dominant conference in college football no question about
1: it. And Greg Sankey has done a terrific job. I think that you can almost view him as the commissioner of college football. It feels like, you know, right. this is the guy that saved the college football season from happening last year after, you know, conferences, like the big 10 of the pack 12 wanted to, to cancel the season altogether. And Sankey uh, stepped up and put a plan together to have the season happen. And now you see this move of bringing in Oklahoma and Texas and, their new TV deal with uh, ABC for the game of the week package. Uh, They're going from $50 million a year from CBS to about 450 million just for that deal alone. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, Jason, are going to make more money from this first tier uh, deal with uh, ABC for the game of the week. than they were making for the uh, tier one, two, and three deals from the big 12. So The money was just too much to pass out.
0: It'll be interesting to see how though. it it will be interesting to see though, how Texas and Oklahoma react because they've used to being the big dogs of the big 12, where now they won't be the number one and two draw of the SEC. They'll be, they might be three, four or five, depending on Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Auburn. I'll say this, Um, Texas, you know, still has problems.
1: I agree on, on Texas, but Oklahoma I think is going to come in and compete right away Okay, in the SEC. I think that, you look at this Oklahoma program and, you know, when you factor in the transfers that Lincoln Riley has been able to bring in, like this past recruiting class, they would have actually been the number one recruiting class ahead of Alabama. When you factor in the transfers, I mean, they are doing an incredible job. They are winning the transfer portal each and every year. And so I think Oklahoma is going to compete right away. And Sure, they've had their struggles in these playoff games, but that's when you've had three or four weeks to prepare. And their defense is a whole lot better now than what it was just even a couple years ago. I think these SEC teams are in for quite the challenge to prepare for Oklahoma each and every week for that offense, for that game plan that Lincoln Riley puts together. Um, And the way they split up these divisions here I mean, we could be talking about Oklahoma and Alabama in the SEC title game every single year. I mean, I think that things are going to play into Oklahoma's favor where they're not playing, you know, Florida and Georgia and Alabama and Auburn every single year. Sure, you might see LSU or Texas A&M, but, I mean, I think they're up for that challenge. Uh, I yeah. think Oklahoma is going to be just fine competing in the SEC. In fact, they might even be better because um, – you know, the, the iron sharpens iron type of ordeal where they'll be potentially more prepared for the playoffs and these playoff games after going through that gauntlet of an SEC schedule. I think the big 12 with playing a softer schedule uh, did them a
0: disservice. It did not have them ready for these playoffs the last few years. Right. And needless to say, you talk Oklahoma, the talk is defense in Oklahoma this year. Lots of people think the defense is going to be way better You know, obviously you have Spencer Rattler coming back and uh, and Lincoln Riley's offense, but a lot of talk out of Norman about how good the defense could be potentially uh, at Oklahoma, and that could be the difference this year to really get them over the top, especially when you get to the playoff.
1: Well, look at that bowl game, the Cotton Bowl against Florida, and they just shut down Kyle Trask. They picked him off three times in the first quarter of that game. And this Oklahoma defense really emerged in the second half of last year. You guys like Turner Yell and company just leading the way on, on that side of the ball. Alex Grinch has done a terrific job yep. as a defensive coordinator uh, there for the Sooners. And, and uh, that's an elite defense. And as much as we talk about Spencer Rattler, who I think is uh, my pick to win the Heisman Trophy and, and be the number one pick in the draft and all the weapons that they have offensively, That defense is uh, really good, and it's come a long way. They're going to give some people some problems. I really like what Oklahoma puts together on both sides of the ball in 2021.
0: Yeah, and and like I said, their their key to continuity moving forward, especially going to the SEC, is is Lincoln Riley going to stay there. Is he going to take an NFL job? Will Grinch – will they be able to keep Grinch? Will he get a – he's eventually probably going to get a head coaching job somewhere. You know, to me, that's going to be the interesting thing is how long does Lincoln does Lincoln Riley want to stay to go to the SEC – or does he want to jump to that NFL job in these next couple of years? Well, and, and that's a good point,
1: but you, know, you look at Lincoln Riley, he's had plenty of opportunities to jump to the NFL at this point. And I'm sure he's passed up on some very good jobs, but Jason, I, I bet you would agree with this too. There are certain jobs in college football that are just simply better than most NFL jobs. And right. Oklahoma is one of those jobs. I mean, just a couple of years back uh, when uh, Mike McCarthy got the Cowboys job, everybody thought Lincoln Riley was going to Dallas. And I said, look, you know, Jerry Jones is, uh, you know, is full of himself and he's still GM. Um, You know, everyone knows that, you know, that's a a problem when Jerry's still in charge. Uh, If if you're Lincoln Riley, I think he's self-aware of that. And, Knows he's got a better thing going in Norman, and sure he was. He wasn't interested. I don't think Lincoln Riley wants to leave Oklahoma until uh, at least he brings a national championship uh, to the Sooners before he could potentially make a move. And and he actually has no connections to the NFL either. Uh, he's not an NFL guy, so he's made his his uh, name there in Norman. And I think he's going to be there a long time. Uh, Alex Grinch. I- I do think he's going to get a head coaching job sooner than later, though. But uh, I, I would be surprised to see if Lincoln Riley is leaving Norman anytime soon.
0: And remember, people don't realize Lincoln Riley's only like what thirty-eight years old. He's not like he's forty-five. I mean, he's he's still in his young mid to, mid thirty mid to late thirties. So he it might be better for him career-wise to wait till he's forty-one, forty-two before he goes before he really seriously explores an NFL job.
1: Right. Well, and what does the NFL have to offer that he doesn't have at Oklahoma? I mean, you're going to be playing right. in front of crowds of 85,000 and players are getting paid now the NIL money and such. Yeah. And, you know, you're on national TV every single week. He's getting paid just as good as these NFL coaches too. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Riley's very aware. He's got a good thing going and, and he's in control there at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the NFL you're talking about, and you're dealing with GMs and, you know, other personnel that kind of you know lead the way and such. And I think that Lincoln likes uh, being the boss and controlling his program, doing things
0: his way. All right, let's let's transition down south. Let's go to Austin, Texas. Tom Herman given the boot at uh, the end of last year. Steve Sarkeesian comes aboard from from Alabama, the OC at Alabama. Obviously, Sarkeesian's had a couple of other head coaching jobs, USC, Washington. You know, he's had his off the field problems. How do you think that that move? played in Austin, and and what what are your thoughts leading into into training camp here this year with Sarkeesian at Texas? I think going from
1: Tom Herman to Steve Sarkeesian was like going from Applebee's to Chili's. Um, (laughs) I don't see a big difference between the two. They're both the same guy. They're both just kind of average head coaches. They're not bad coaches, but they're not great either. Um, Sark, you know, you look at what he did at Washington. He leaves there, gets replaced by Chris Peterson and Washington fans are excited. They got an upgrade in the process. He goes down to USC and, you know, things are going okay before, uh, you know, ultimately he was dismissed with his uh, drinking problems. I don't think that's going to be an issue. You know, uh, he's well beyond that. He's addressed his demons head on about that. That's not a concern for me at all for Sark as far as that goes. But if there is one thing that Sark has going for him that maybe – Herman Dennett is that Steve Sarkeesian gets the SEC you know I mean you look at what he did at Alabama and all the staff that he's hired uh, around him are SEC guys and this is the first time that Texas is trying to build themselves with the model of an SEC program Charlie Strong was from Louisville uh, you know, Mac Brown uh, years ago, you know, was a North Carolina guy and right. such. So they're trying to do things in SEC way. Uh, so that to me is the big thing for Sark that uh, could be a difference for them. Now, you know, with Texas, you're, you're talking about a program that still is going to have to compete with Oklahoma. Oklahoma is uh, not slowing down anytime soon. And your level of competition is about to uh, kick up. Uh, a whole lot as well going to the sec the, the thing that looks good for texas i think going forward as far as this sec move is they are weakening texas a&m in the process texas a&m had that advantage of being the one texas school in the sec and Thank really you. got to leverage that in their recruiting um now you make this move to the sec and texas gets to weaken texas a&m in the process um I don't know what Sark's going to do. I don't have high expectations for him. I don't think, I don't expect them to be any better than what they are right now. It'd be an eight, nine win program, but um, you know, you, you look at the, where all the resources Texas has and all the talent they're able to recruit and such, there's no reason why Texas can't succeed. All the stuff is there. It's just a matter of if Sark can put it together or not. Um, I think this year kind of a rebuilding year. Yes, they have some talent. I think they can win, seven eight games I don't think Sark is going to be judged based on this year it's going to be on the next couple years to see where it goes
0: yeah and Sark I mean say what you want about Sark he is a brilliant offensive mind play caller play designer you know and that can sometimes overcome not having the quality of athlete at the position but if if you have if you have a dominant play caller which he is on on the offensive side of the ball you know it obviously the Texas defense has always been seems to be the bugaboo down in Austin in the last several years. So, in the mentality of Texas, they've always kind of been deemed as a soft program, a little bit soft down there in Austin. So, interesting to see how he brings his SEC, you know, mindset like you said working for Saban, how that's going to translate in Austin. But even with that said,
1: um, none of these Saban assistants have been able to beat him not one right.
0: time. So, <laughs>
1: We could talk about that, you know. Oh, you know, he's doing things the SEC way and all that. Well, how well does that necessarily worked for these saving assistants? Either not so hot. I mean, some of them have been good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like it's just a guaranteed recipe that that's going to be the difference between Texas of old to what they are now.
0: All right, let's go to let's go to your neck of the woods, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. The Les Miles experiment kind of blew up in their face. Everybody thought they were, that there might be a chance to be for them to at least be competitive. That didn't work out less. Obviously, had his off the field issues. What are your thoughts just about that whole situation in Lawrence?
1: It was embarrassing for Kansas. I mean, for a university that went 0 9 last year to find one way to be more embarrassing than an 0 9 <laughs> season was pretty on brand for Kansas football. Um, I went to Kansas, so I can, you know, go, you know, be honest right. with them. You know, I, I can give that tough love, you know. Um, but you know, it, it was a bad offseason to see those things occur and and how Jeff Long handled that. Um, you know, this was a guy that didn't want to pay David Beatty, who was rightfully owed, uh, you know, his full contract and such. They ended up going to court, and eventually they lose that lawsuit, and yet he was willing to pay off less Miles for his silence and such. I hated how that was handled, and Jeff Long was rightfully fired. But now you bring in a new head coach and Lance Leipold, Uh, From Buffalo. And there's a lot of optimism about Lance Leipold, what he's bringing to the Jayhawks. This guy won uh, several national titles at the D3 level. He did a really good job at Buffalo. He's an older guy. You know, he's in his mid 50s. So you don't necessarily expect him to be trying to bounce around, that this could be his last stop, or at least uh, you would hope that six, seven, eight years. Six, right. Get to a point that he leaves them in much better shape than he right. found it. But um, as far as leaving them in much better shape, one thing I will say about Les Miles is this roster is as good as it's been in a long time. Um, he recruited very well there. Uh, they did a really good job of focusing in on high school talent. I mean, since the Charlie Weiss days, they haven't been at 85 scholarship players just based on how things have really just been screwed up there. Now they're the closest they've ever been to that 85 scholarship number in a long time. So there's reason to be optimistic uh, about this Kansas football program, what they're going to do going forward. Um, I think that they can win a game or two in the Big 12 this year. Uh, same story that we've talked about ever since the Todd Re- since Todd Reesing left town. They don't have a quarterback trying to figure out who that quarterback is. Right. Um, But, you know, the the expectation in Lawrence, you know, they'll they'll build a statue for you if you win six or seven games every year. And that's all Lance Leipold has to do. And I don't think that's far off from happening. It's just a matter of uh, when, not if. And I think he can be the guy to get Kansas to that point. And uh, get to where, where they want to be. I mean, you're you're still a basketball school primarily. Everyone knows that they just want to be competitive. They're not asking for much, and I don't think that's too much to ask for.
0: Good, good, great insight. All right, I'm going to jump off topic. I'm going to I'm going to ask you a basketball question real quick since you're you're so dialed into KU. Any any updates on the whole scandal, the Adidas deal with with Bill Self in the last six eight months?
1: Well, the investigation's been handed off to the uh, IARP, the, uh, group that is, uh, reviewing, you know, the, uh, from the third party perspective and the way that works is that, uh, you know, this, this, uh, organization is a uh, separate from the NCAA and part of the agreement to have them make the decision is that there is no appeals process. Once a decision is made, it's final. Well, right. that group was formed in 2018 And they have not made a single decision ever (laughs) in any case since they launched. So, you know, we were all sitting here. Everything was turned in and was ready to go. We all expected a ruling to be made at some point last year, and it just simply didn't happen. And now here we are a year later and still nothing. You know, everything's pretty quiet and such. I would expect just one day out of the blue when we least expect it something is going to drop about this situation here. Um, there, there's really no precedent. We have no idea what is going to happen with, uh, you know, with what Kansas is going to be dealt with here. And and uh, you look at NIL, I mean, it certainly makes Kansas look a lot better because what they did would now, what they're accused of. Right. Would actually be a legal thing in a, today's college sports world and such. So. Right. Who knows what's going to happen, Um, you know, whether it's a postseason ban or loss of scholarships, whatever. I mean, something is going to happen at some point, but we just don't know when. We're kind of just playing the waiting game at this point to see what happens. I do know one thing, though, for sure. Bill Self has made his commitment to the University of Kansas known ever since this investigation started all the way back to the FBI days. Um, He said that he is committed to staying at KU, to getting them through this process, Um, he's already had plenty of opportunities to jump ship, whether it be to other college jobs or take an NBA job and get away from all this, but he's riding things out. And uh, I think that as long as Kansas has Bill Self, everything's going to be okay and be just fine. And Bill Self is actually a big part of this realignment talks uh, as far as their move to a potential conference. Uh, Everything from I've heard from my sources is, they feel really good about the position they're in. And that athletic department is kind of being quiet right now. And comparatively yeah. speaking to March when this Les Miles stuff was going on, um, I think quiet's a good thing. I think the fact that not much is going on, you look at Oklahoma and Texas, um, everything was real quiet there until Texas A&M leaked and said something. So uh, I think the vibes around this Kansas athletic department just as a whole right now are pretty good. Comparably speaking, to what they were even just a few months ago, on on all fronts.
0: How is how is the NIL agreements and the, and the ability for all these kids to get their own deals? How is that played in a place like Lawrence, where that's the only game in town? Is that something that those kids are going to be able to really take advantage of? Whether it's the football, basketball, you know, the the women's, you know, whatever the the, the other good sports are at Kansas. How, how, how is that played in, the, in a city like Lawrence, or even even where you're at in Omaha? Yeah, well, I think about this.
1: Um, Let's take football, for example. Okay. Um, You know, Kansas is going after the guys that are getting the last scholarships available at your Oklahoma and Texas schools to be your number one and number two recruits. And essentially, you could have more to offer uh, as far as NIL opportunities for those Uh, those recruits, you know, that, Hey, you're going to be the big dog on campus. You know I mean? There's been several players over the years. Um, I think one in particular, Amani Bledsoe, this guy was a four-star recruit out of Lawrence high school. And, you know, they came, he was recruited highly by Kansas since he was a freshman. And uh, you know, they offered, came to him and said, you know, Hey, you're going to be the big man on campus. You're going to start day one. This town's going to love you and such. And he opted, opted to go to Oklahoma and had a really good career. And now he's playing in the NFL for the Bengals. But those guys like that, now you can say, look, not only are you going to be the big man on campus here and you're going to start all four years, but w- we're going to offer you the farm. You know, you're going to have all these money opportunities you're going to aren't going to have at some of these other places. So that's what's going to keep them competitive. Um, Kansas as a donor base. Um, One of the things they talk about is they don't have a whole lot of donors for their athletics fund, but they have one of the largest uh, uh, financial donation bases in the Big 12, only behind Oklahoma and Texas. So uh, one of the big things they're trying to encourage now with this move uh, potentially out of the Big 12 to a new conference is, hey, they just need some small, smaller donors to get involved. They need some money raised. Uh, beyond just the big time donors that they need more of those small donations. So that's what they're looking for. And uh, you know, this NIL stuff, I think Kansas is going to be in great shape and they're still going to get all the basketball talent they want and yep. be able to offer them things. I mean, heck even Mitch Lightfoot, who, has been there five, six years and been a role <laughs> player for Kansas on the basketball side. This guy's already racked up a couple endorsement deals right. and is making his name known. And so there's going to be opportunities for everybody. Uh, Kansas is going to be just fine, and I think they're going to benefit from
0: NIA. and all these little, all these small, you know, Big Twelve teams that are the only game in town are going to have that advantage. Where it's going to really help everybody. It's going to, it's going to shrink the the margin a little bit when the Texas, when you can you can get a kid to go to Lubbock, Texas, because he can he can he can still make a couple hundred thousand bucks a year on the on the NIL circuit and around Lubbock and that whole area. And that's going to help everybody around the country.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I I love too about this NIL stuff that I don't think we're talking about enough is the opportunity for walk-ons. And
0: yes.
1: you look at BYU, everyone there is getting their school paid for now. Um, they had a company step up and say, we're going to take care of tuition for all the walk-ons. And so everybody's taken care of. And you see what the NCAA was doing, just taking away those opportunities from athletes to have just their school paid for, just some uh, money to, you know, go have a good Friday night and stuff like that. I mean, this changes the game. I'm all in for NIL and it's going to be great for college athletics and the beginning of the end for the NCAA, which I could not be more excited about to see the NCAA falling apart uh, right before our very eyes here. (laughs) All
0: right, let's head up North. Let's go to Iowa state, Matt Campbell. Again, this guy's a hell of a, hell of a coach. He's putting together a big program. I mean, they're, they're, they're not there yet, but they're coming. And that guy's a great coach up there. What are your thoughts on Matt Campbell and Iowa state? I love Matt Campbell. There's another big 12 coach that's turned down
1: NFL jobs left and right. uh, to Stay there in Ames. And They've taken care of him. They're doing some stadium renovations. They've put the money into that athletic department. And, and, uh, I mean, he, he's done an incredible job. Uh, you could argue that he has done the best coaching job in the country right now. I mean, they were, you know, you go back to 2014, Kansas and Iowa State were in the same exact spot. Right. Look at where Kansas is at now. Look at where Iowa State's at. Um, they made the right hire and it has paid them dividends to do. Uh, what they've done with Matt Campbell. And this year's roster, I mean, you got a big three on offense. You know, Brock Purdy, I think, is an NFL quarterback. I've been a big fan of his ever since his freshman year. Um, you know, th- this guy makes plays in big-time moments. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he steps up when his name's called upon. Brees Hall is as good as any running back in college football. Uh, Charlie Coar, uh at tight end is just terrific. And believe it or not, he's actually a guy that – It's from Norman, Oklahoma, that Oklahoma missed on. That uh, they're, I'm sure they're regretting they didn't bring him in. Uh, He was a big Sooner fan and was in an OU family, but didn't get recruited by OU. Now he's looking like one of the top tight ends in all of college football. So those guys stayed. They stayed together. They all could have gone to the NFL. Head coach, the big three included, but they wanted to run it back one more time. Right. Um, I think if you're Iowa State, what you're hoping for is that. You take care of business, you know, in uh, the regular season, beat Iowa, do those things and hope you split with Oklahoma. If you can either win the game in Norman or the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma, split those two and be competitive, then you got a great shot to make the college football playoff. I think that's your goal. You can't lose to anyone else other than somebody named the Oklahoma Sooners. Otherwise, Iowa State's in great shape.
0: Yep, No, I agree. He's done a great job up there. Like I said, it, that's another guy that I could see, again, depending on how this whole Big 12 blows up with the conference, he might say, it's time for me to get the hell out of here and go to the NFL, or he's going to be a hot commodity for these and other big-time college jobs too. So if the Big 12 blows up, you could definitely see Matt Campbell going somewhere else. Well, think
1: about like Michigan. You know, we know how much uh, that's been disappointing with Jim Harbaugh. How yeah.
0: much better off
1: would they be with Matt Campbell right now? Uh, right. You know, that's one program that comes to mind. Uh, and, and he knows how to recruit that area yeah. already. Um, you look at, you know, some of these other jobs that are about to pop up. I think USC is going to open. Um, some of these others, he is going to be the number one name on all those college jobs and all those NFL jobs, too. His day is
0: coming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, give me a, give me a sleeper team or two in the league that you know that 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 that, that's, that we're not talking about. Uh, TCU
1: is the team I'm watching for. Uh, TCU is a, a program that's been solid the last several years. They've beaten Texas uh, seven out of the last ten years. Uh, Gary Patterson did an incredible job transitioning this team to the Big Twelve over this last decade. And at quarterback, you're looking at Chandler Morris, uh, I think is going to be the guy. He was at Oklahoma last year. If you recall, he actually played some of that Cotton Bowl. It looked pretty dang good. <laughs> and, but he knew that, you know, hey, look, you know, Spencer Rattler's there, and they got yeah. a number, another five-star quarterback and Caleb Williams coming in that he just wasn't going to see the field with as good of the quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley's bringing in. But, you know, if, if Chandler Morris is your starter or at least your number two option – you're, then you're in good shape at that quarterback spot. And we know right. that TCU always has a good defense. Uh, I'm looking at the Horn Frogs as a team that maybe could finish as high as third or fourth in the Big 12 this year. The team that really fascinates me is Oklahoma State. And I think that you can measure the strength of the Big 12 based on how good Oklahoma State is. They need Spencer Sanders to take a big leap this year. And if he doesn't, then Shane Illinworth right behind him, uh, needs to be that guy um, you know they they have some options there but uh, they really need to, to step it up a bit they, they've had some issues on the offensive line they need that to improve uh, we know Oklahoma State's always going to have playmakers you know at, at, uh, at running back and a wide receiver they've, they haven't struggled with the skill positions but if they can get that offensive line going and if Spitzer Sanders can take a big leap um, watch out Oklahoma state could be a team that surprises some folks and win maybe 10 games this year. Those are two teams to watch for TCU and Oklahoma state uh, besides uh, OU and Iowa state. I got you.
0: You're all right. You're listening to Tyler Jones of the Jones report podcast. He's also an anchor for local news TV, local news live TV out of Omaha, Nebraska. You can see uh, Tyler on over hundred stations around the country. He's doing a great job. He does uh, lots of different stuff. He's very dialed into the big 12, Couple more things, Tyler. We'll get you out of here. And by the way, Applebee's does have some good late night menus, and Chili's does have a good <laughs> soup and salad for lunch. <laughs> hey, Texas has their moments. Every once in a while, they win the Red River <laughs> Shootout too. So sure. <laughs> what's the What's the best place? You know, for a game? What outside of Oklahoma, Texas? What's another great, envi- a great environment or two to go see a game in the Big Twelve? Man, it's, uh, I think it's Stillwater at
1: Oklahoma State. I mean, that place uh, seats 60,000 and they tailgate like crazy. And and uh, the, the big reason I love going there is, uh, is Eskimo Joe's. I mean, you got uh, <laughs> those incredible cheese fries there and uh, the game day atmosphere. Uh, I, I had a lot of friends that went to OSU and so, uh, I love to get down there whenever I can. I try to go down to Oklahoma State once a year, but they do it big there in uh, Stillwater. They have a great game day atmosphere and and uh, do things well. and And uh, that's the, the place I would go if I wasn't going to Oklahoma or Texas. I, I would uh, you know spend a game day at uh, Oklahoma State. They do things big, and and uh, you know Kansas State's also another fun one too. I mean, they have a real family atmosphere. You know, especially okay. if you got kids or something like that. And you're looking for you know a, a place that you know people are going to treat you right and such. Kansas State's going to be that place. And even as a Kansas guy, I feel at home going to K State because they're so kind and so gracious there, and and uh, you know do it big. They know big time college football there in uh, Manhattan, Kansas too.
0: All right, w- what are your thoughts, Dave Aranda at Baylor post Matt Rule? How, how do you think that whole, the whole Dave Aranda uh, re- regime is going there in in, in at Baylor? Well, things didn't go too hot last year. Uh, Now, (laughs) granted
1: that they lost a lot of guys, and it was going to be a down year, even if Matt Rule was there. Um, But I didn't expect them to be that bad last year. And and I get it. You know, COVID threw everyone a curveball. Some teams reacted better than others to to COVID. Um, So you know that that is a valid excuse. But I mean, it was something everybody dealt with. Um, They had problems just even playing games I think Baylor had more games canceled or rescheduled than anyone else in the big 12 they had some serious COVID issues to deal with um but Dave Miranda was a guy that didn't do too hot as defensive coordinator at Texas A&M and and uh he was kind of the weak link at LSU um you know that national championship team they won the title not because of uh the defense but because of what Joe Burrow and Joe Brady put together on that offense. I'm not high on Dave Aranda um, there at Baylor. Um, You know, I I think that they can bounce back and potentially get themselves a seven or eight wins again. Um, But I'm skeptical to say the least when it comes to Baylor and their future uh, under Dave Aranda, I I think the jury's still out on him.
0: All right. Who do you got? Who do you got the title game?
1: Oklahoma and Iowa State. Uh, I think that's pretty easy to pick those two to have a rematch last year's Big 12 title game. Um, they're the two best teams. They're on a whole nother level compared to everybody else. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, they, they can't slip up a bit. Uh, and you know, Oklahoma has lost to K State uh, like what, two, three years in a row. Um, you know, Iowa State has suffered some losses to Oklahoma State the last several years and yeah. such. So, You know, if if these two teams take care of business and do what they're supposed to do, there's no reason why Oklahoma and Iowa State won't be in the Big 12 title game. Uh, For Oklahoma, I think that you look at, um, you know, if you you split with Iowa State, you are in the playoff about a 90% chance you're in. If you're Iowa State, you're hoping for a split But you'd prefer if it's a split, it's the Big 12 title game you're winning between the two. I don't think it matters for Oklahoma which game they win. um, But the Big 12 title game would be preferred, obviously. But um, I I think that's what you're hoping for if you're both these schools is that you get at least a split, that both games are competitive and you both make the playoff. But uh, I don't think that's out of the question that both these teams could be in there when it's all said and done. But uh, just take care of business, do what you're supposed to do,
0: and they're going to be in good shape. Well, before I get you out of here, I gotta get one more. I gotta get one more little dig on you. I know you're a huge Kansas City Chief fan, and obviously, I'm a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. Oh, the, the beatdown in February, man. We haven't talked since. It was a
1: full beatdown, my brother. That was brutal, man. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> we, we've moved on to 2021. Chiefs are the favorites once again. Uh, I like that? it. I like that, what they bring to the table. Uh, you know, that offensive line just got eaten alive in that Super Bowl <laughs> with uh, Eric Fisher and, uh, yes. uh, and company, you know, uh, being out of yeah. that, that game last year. You know, Mitchell Schwartz, There was out there two starting tackles, and yeah. uh, the Bucks defense just attacked Patrick Mahomes on all sides, and, you know, he was running for his life that entire game. Now you bring in Orlando Brown, you bring in Creed Humphrey, uh, a whole new offensive line there. Uh, the defense looks really good, too. The best, this is the best Chiefs defense we've seen in years, and that's always been the weakness of the Chiefs. This team's going to be really good. I they like are. what Kansas City brings to the table. Um, the they are motivated, you know,
0: and they got some motivation. They are.
1: They are. And they love to play with a chip on their shoulder of some sorts. You know, Tyron Matthew always feels like he's doubted uh, a bit. And Patrick Mahomes, just that little Michael Jordan type of motivation here. The Chiefs are going to be good. I have them winning the Super Bowl. Um, it's just a matter of uh, who they're going to play. I think I'll say this, though. As far as the way the National Football League shapes out, I think you're talking about eight teams that are all way better than everybody else. I yeah. think the Chiefs, you, in the AFC, you got the Chiefs, the Titans, Browns, the Ravens, and the Bills. Yep. And then in the NFC, it's the Bucs, it's the Rams, and the Packers. Yes. Those eight teams have separated themselves. I agree. Um, once you go beyond those eight, the league is actually kind of down this year um, as far as that goes. I think it's going to be that group of teams. It's going to be much tougher to go through the AFC uh than it is going to be to go through the nfc this year but it's uh it's going to be fun to watch i think it's the chiefs and i got the rams getting to the super bowl i think the rams uh find a way to get it done uh you know eventually time's got to catch up with with tom brady at some point <laughs> by the time but uh i'm not i'm not counting on it but we'll see so there you go they all right
0: tell everyone where they can find john line with the t- with the tv broadcasting with the, with the jones report well, uh, Jason, appreciate you having me, man. Uh, easiest way to find me, Twitter, Facebook,
1: Instagram, at Tyler Jones Live, and uh, keeping the folks updated with uh, all sorts of stuff going on. We're in the summer of Jones right now and just living it up uh, the last couple of months uh, on the road and such and nice. having a great time doing it and uh, doing my podcast each and every week, The Jones Reports, uh, talking to some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment uh, each and every week, and I certainly have a great time doing that show and uh, doing TV here in Omaha, Local News Live. We just launched in January. We're on 100 plus stations within the uh, great television sphere across the country. We're about to add some new stations. As uh, great just bought out Meredith, so we're adding them up and really expanding on that. Certainly excited about what uh, our company's putting together in the path forward. So just a lot of good stuff going on. A lot has changed for me within the last few months and moved to Omaha in January,
0: but having a look back and
1: Excited about what's ahead. Best is still yet to come.
0: Well, man, keep up the great work. You do a great job, man. And uh, we'll definitely talk soon as we progress through the football season, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Have a great weekend, buddy. See you. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.